When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We're back. This is episode 104, Code Reviews. I'm Matt. That's Mike. And this week, we'll be discussing everything we know about code reviews. And then in the web news, we're just going to have basically an honest-to-goodness discussion about content creation and task switching and just being generally overloaded. And then, or rather, if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go and check us out on Patreon, uh, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, or share this with your friends. And now it's time for our weekly pain points, so Mike, please take it away. Okay, uh, weekly pain point for this week is overscheduling. Uh, just having a little bit of a hard time with all the meetings and scheduling my meetings to make sure that they're not falling in like certain hat times, like for streams or certain deep work times where I actually need to get some features done. Uh, I've just been doing a lot more managing stuff like managing teams managing developers managing code bases uh and that's taken a lot more time than i thought it would so i'm adapting to that but having some issues that's about it for me though what about you matt uh so my weekly pain point is actually uh i don't know how much we've mentioned about this on the show i can't remember now but my role is like slightly pivoting or fully pivoting uh I guess that indecision is indicative of, of my weekly pain point. Just too many directions. Uh, I'm kind of uh, kind of finishing off a bunch of projects and client work, and we're kind of pivoting toward me being more of a content creator uh, for Hat and you know a couple other projects that we have maybe that we that we're thinking of. But then that requires us to like not take on new clients or something. Like like it, we're all over the place. And th- and this type of conversation is what's going to be in the web news. So the web news is because of me, for me. I'm just going to say, and about me, because that sounds good, but it's about both of us. So, Mike, you wrote the show notes this week for the main episode, so sir, please take it away. All right. So, uh, we're going to be talking about code reviews today. Um, and it's one of those topics where I kind of went on the, de- on the deep dive in this because I need to get better at it. Because like I mentioned in my weekly pain point, I've, I've been doing a little bit more team management Um stuff and along with with a larger team comes co- more code reviews and as soon as you have more code reviews it kind of gets a little bit hairy so i decided hey for the topic i've done some code reviews and i need to learn about some good tactics so why don't i deep dive on it and we can discuss it live on the podcast uh, and you know go through what i found um so i'll start off with segment number one which is getting your code reviewed so that you're the you know person submitting the code for reviewing uh, this kind of thing can be pretty stressful. That's why I want to kind of break it down a little bit and de-stress people from it. So why why it's stressful is because you're kind of putting yourself out there. Uh, you're putting what you wrote that you, you know, may, it probably works because that's why you're submitting it for a code review, but you're not sure if you did it the right way. It's always like that imposter syndrome thing is sleeping in because you might have wrote it one way and you think it's good, or maybe you think it's bad and you don't know another way to write it. And now you have to get someone else to approve it. 
And it's kind of a scary thing, especially when you're just starting out in, um, in the industry and you're new to a team or something like that, or you're new to a project because code reviews can happen on open source, Git projects and stuff like that. So one of the, one of the suggestions I have, something that I use myself is do a quick review of your code before submitting. So a lot of the time you're just kind of on a time crunch and you're afraid that if you spend any more time, you know, looking at your code, it's going to take time away from you completing the tasks at hand for your, you know, for your project, for your team, whatever. And you forget to kind of just take a quick look at the code before you review, before you submit it. So my suggestion is to, you know, take a step back, look at your code, uh, go, the, the, especially the stuff that you're submitting for review, because as we'll talk later, you're not submitting your entire code base for review every time. You're submitting very small portions of it for review. So especially that portion that you just worked on that you're submitting, uh, take a look at it. Make sure that the variables make sense. Make sure that you're in the proper format. Make sure that all the rules that the company that you're working for, the team that you're working for, the project that you're working on are upheld. Uh, just do a quick overview yourself because it'll save those really dumb errors that will be caught immediately by the reviewer or by the automated machine that like checks there's there's some reviews that happen automatically um like i don't know it'll check if your linting is correct if you have the right spaces or comma or like if you have semicolons or no semicolons whatever so it'll stop that portion and it'll just look good on you yourself that you're submitting a more refined piece of code so a lot of the time when i'm like writing an when i was writing an essay for high school uh, or writing just a document or something right now, if I just submit it right after I wrote it, there's going to be some really dumb errors because I'll just mistype something. I'll just, you know, miss punctuation. And that's, I think, indicative of most people and most situations. That's why that like little separate code review that I usually do actually maybe a couple hours after I've written it, if I have that luxury, um, because it kind of gives you a fresh mind at it, uh, that little code review will save those kind of mistakes. So... Moving on here, uh, try to separate critical feedback from a personal attack. This one's hard to do because anytime you get feedback on something that you wrote, you kind of inherently take it personally. So when you, you know, if someone tells you that you wrote this function wrong and just like plain wrong, you take that as an attack on yourself for being not like ready or something like that, you know, you know, you miss something, but really what, what that instruction or what that uh, comment is saying is like, you wrote it wrong. Like, yes, you wrote it wrong, but it's just the structure that you used. Try to try to do it differently. And a lot of the time in a code review, they'll give you direction on what to do differently. And the point is to take that direction and to apply it and kind of grow with it, with that direction. So try to, turn a personal attack so the, what you think is a personal attack into something that could benefit you in the future and when you resubmit code with that correction and in the future use that correction the person that's reviewing it will know that you've listened to them and that's a really good feeling and they'll most likely give you positive feedback on that kind of uh on that kind of correction so use it to your advantage use the feedback that you're getting to your advantage to grow and learn with it Again, it's really hard. It's a lot easier said than done because even for me, like if someone tells me that there's a portion of my code that was written poorly or written wrong, like if they use critical language, um, I usually take it personally right away too, but I try to then separate that out later on and, you know, get some positive feedback out of it. Uh, actually, one thing I want to jump in here too is, so I don't really have much experience with code reviews themselves, but I do have experience from the IT side, which is sort of configuration reviews. 
So, uh, you know, changing some details for security purpose, we used to do, uh, you know, changes to if, you, if, you, if you're uh, experienced with enterprise grade routers and switches and those type of things, there would be literally like configuration changes you would have to submit. And so if you're configuring these routers, you it's not coding, but it's a bunch of it's a bunch of essentially like router admin stuff where you're, you know, putting ports up and down, you're setting ports to different protocols and all the rest of it. So, you know, not to get into the weeds there. The, the the key thing is is that a lot of these routers and switches and everything of course are in pro in production and so they're in they're in production they're working they're needed they're you know typically needed 24 7 and so making a change to them that could lock you out remotely like lock out your remote access or break somebody's critical routing or break some sort of network thing so that somebody's backup can't be you know, if someone's network backup doesn't get done and they don't realize it and that type of thing is very, very critical or just having the whole thing go down, of course, very serious. And so the way I kind of look at code reviews as an outsider is we actually liked having our our configurations reviewed because, you know, our tech lead would look at it, our team members would look at it, we would look at it, of course, we would review it and it would be something where we want people to look at it. Because we do not want there to be a problem. We do not want that switch, that router, that that backup thing, that whatever it was. We do not want that thing to go down. And when somebody comes to you and says, hey, you shouldn't set it like this. You're actually grateful in a role like that. Because you're like, damn, like that was going to break something. And I would have got a call at 3 in the morning or something. And so I think that. I don't know whether that gives me an advantage if I ever do a, a code review, a traditional code review, but that's just how I I would personally look at it. And I kind of think that even though we were not forced to look at it that way, but that's just the way it fell in the IT field, or at least in my experience, I feel as though maybe that's a, a healthier way to maybe look at it even as a developer, where even as a dev, you have sort of that small amount of IT stuff where you're not maybe keeping things up all the time and that type of thing, or maybe you are if you're in a smaller company. But if you publish bad code or publish code that potentially interrupts, you know, could interrupt a database backup very easily. It could potentially corrupt the data in a database. I want somebody to tell me, hey, even if they're rude about it, as some entrepreneurs would be, you know, not to promote a bad workplace, but even if someone says, Matt, you're an idiot, don't do that. Even though that's like, hey, what the hell, man? But if it's stopping me from breaking a project or breaking a data set that isn't backed up or breaking something that is going to cause me annoyance or harm in my career or a, a call at four in the morning or an angry boss meeting or something like that. If it's something that's preventing that, then I'm all for it. You know, I'm all for being told, Hey, don't do that. I'm not necessarily for the, Hey, you idiot. Don't do that. But I'm so grateful that I would personally just accept that. I'd be like, Oh, Oh damn. I am an idiot. What am I doing? Type of thing. Yeah. And that's absolutely correct. Like looking at it from the sense that it does improve your own knowledge base, it improves your own skills, and it limits the risk to the company. Um, there's a lot of positives with code reviews. And we should want to have our code reviewed because we should want to, you know, see our mistakes and point them out and move past them. And that, that was a big problem with uh, you and me, Matt, initially is like, we couldn't really review each other's code because we were kind of on the growing on the same level and doing different things most most of the time like you were doing css html i was kind of sticking to javascript so it was tough for us to critique each other so we didn't have that um we didn't have that advantage that you would have going into a company and having like a bunch of seasoned developers looking at your code and correcting it so most likely my growth 
uh, was a little bit slower than it could have been if I kind of accelerated in that kind of development environment. Now, later on, I would use team members, I would use uh, uh, tech leads and stuff like that to bounce stuff off of, and that helped. Uh, but I've never until now had that traditional environment where uh, I could bounce, like, you know, show a team my code and have them review it. And I'll discuss that a little bit later because even when you're kind of uh, one of the senior developers, it's really important to bring in the team to kind of review your code as well because you just need that perspective. You need a different perspective on it even when you're when you're the one kind of coordinating the reviews. So having said that, uh, building on the, the previous point, uh, you need to show growth in the reviews by taking the advice that's given to you. And obviously, when it makes sense, a lot of the time or some of the time, I should say, some of the advice you should push back on. So sometimes people will tell you how to format a for loop a certain way, like, and you can say, okay, well, like, I understand what you're saying, but this way is great. Here's some documentation on why it's great. You can absolutely give that feedback sometimes. Um, Obviously, with every little thing, you want to avoid doing that. But for the most part, feel free to, you know, reach out and clarify certain things that you don't understand. But if someone gives you advice that you agree with, it's really good to, you know, take that advice and then use it in the future. Because if you're submitting another piece of code to the same reviewer and they see that you've taken their advice and you're growing with the project, they're going to be more likely to give you more code, to give you more projects, to get you that next promotion, the next step. That's kind of how you grow in a company is like, not so much conforming, but evolving with that company, because as you're growing, the reviewers are so growing and it's kind of a, a, you know, step-by-step process between you two. And it's important to kind of play off each other on that front. Um, then there's understanding that the reviewer is most likely not enjoying the process as much as you're not enjoying it. So a lot of the time, it's just like, it's time. It's taking up a lot of time. The code reviews, uh, you know, giving critiques, getting critiques, all that stuff takes up time. And just like know that they're in the same, most likely in the same situation as you are, where you're f- kind of forced to do a code review for good reasons. And they're forced to look at your review for good reasons as well. And that relationship is uh, a little bit difficult sometimes because, again, you're busy, they're busy. And sometimes you got to give a little bit of patience for like um, – For instance, if someone hasn't reviewed your code yet and you need that code to be the next step, don't like, you know, aggressively ask them, why haven't you reviewed it yet? Maybe give a context as to why you need it uh, reviewed as soon as possible. Because for instance, if you have, if it's a blocker for you to move on to the next feature, say that like, Hey, I just need, just wondering where you're at with this. Uh, I need, I need this feature to move on to feature B stuff like that. Just be a, you know, cognizant of the other the reviewers time as well knowing that they're in the same situation it's kind of it's kind of also a bit of a struggle too because you know it's it for some people it is difficult to not be a people pleaser but it is this is this is one of those moments where realistically you just shouldn't be a people pleaser you should just say like i need this and you're not being unreasonable you know constantly pestering them every 10 minutes or something is being unreasonable. But if you're asking for something within the company's guidelines of time or, you know, within a day or whatever, whatever the normal is, if you, you're asking that and it, and it semi annoys the person, it's like, well, then they, they get semi annoyed. And also as you work with people too, you will develop sort of ways to skim through their code. So if they, if they always totally random example if they always zoom an image a certain way they have a function that they always use the exact same way that like zooms into an image and 
like really zoom and enhance if we're getting into the CSI of things. So it's like zoom and enhance an image really quick. And so they always use this same function. It's something that they sort of invented and that's that's how they zoom and enhance things. You can kind of skip over that function, but because you're familiar with that function, you were able to skip over it, but you're also aware without going through each line what the output and what it changes and what it affects. So total again, totally random example, if that zoom and enhance uh, function affects the Z index. And in this particular project, for whatever reason, the Z index was specifically set and needs to be set that way for whatever reason. You can immediately look at it and without even going through each line and going through, you'd be like, dude, that touches the Z index. Like, I would be careful with that. Or, hey, that touches the Z index. That can't happen. Remember, or remember to reset the Z index after this type of thing. That's, that is how you would sort of, that's sort of like one of those team building things where, you're constantly going through team building. You're constantly learning how each other codes. So your your code reviews of junior developers or people that are just new to your team even are going to be slower because you don't know how they code. But once you understand their functions and that type of thing, you will be able to skim past a bunch of stuff to kind of get to the most important thing. Like maybe they're zooming in enhancing, but this time they're only supposed to be zooming in enhancing red pixels. So then you you would look specifically at the red pixel code in this case. That type of stuff. Yep, exactly. And to help you do that, uh, you can use linting and formatting tools that the company provides you. So what linting and formatting does is it kind of aligns your code into the company's regulations. So for instance, if you're using spaces and the company wants tabs, it's not going to force you to use tabs. All you have to do is run the linting the linting and formatting tools that they provide you Uh prettier.js, like Airbnb, Lint, whatever. Um, and it'll automatically format your code and you can kind of change it to format it on save. And you can also change it to format it only when you commit your changes as well. So if you like the, the look of your code as you're coding it to be in tabs, uh, you can keep it that way until you commit your change. And on the commit, it'll run a linting uh for linting, linting and formatting, which will make your code more standardized for the team and they'll have an easier time kind of going through it and finding those patterns and getting e it's easier for them to kind of go through it quickly. Whereas if everyone writes code differently with different spacing and different function uh, declarations, it's just, it's just that extra, extra step that everyone has to take to be like, oh, I don't write like that. Uh, I guess that makes sense. But just one of those little things that you can do to accelerate the, the review process for your team. And I think in most cases, if you're working for a larger firm, it's required. It's absolutely required for you to run those linters and formatters. Um, and to accelerate it even more, accelerate your uh, review even more is keep your codes code as short as possible. So usually how a code review works is it's done through a pull request on GitHub or on Bitbucket, whatever Git platform you're using. So you do all your code, your feature, you commit it to your branch, and then you pull request from your branch to whatever feature branch that you're writing the code for. And that pull request is then notifying the reviewers of the fact that you've submitted something for review. They go in there um, and they're like, okay, they can take a look at your code, write down whatever you need to fix, send you back a denial of your pull request, you fix it, you submit it again. That's kind of how code reviews work uh, currently in the industry. So the less code that you that they need to look at, so the like you know the more concrete your feature that you're implementing is, the easier and quicker that it'll get approved, and it's just easier again for you and for them. That's the goal here. 
get you past the code review as quickly as possible because it's not the core part of what you're doing. The core part of what you're doing is the actual code. We want to get to coding as quickly as possible. Lastly here is as simple as this seems, test your code before submitting. Actually run your change. And I know this seems redundant for me to say this, but for some reason, and I've, I'm, I have the same thing. If I go in there and I change a small little thing that's like a color or something really, really small, and I submit a pull request, sometimes I'll do it without testing it because I'm like, oh, that shouldn't affect anything. But all of a sudden, I changed a variable that was affecting another variable that was affecting another variable, and it crashed the entire application. So now when I've submitted it, the, the someone's pulling it down, runs it, nothing works, even though you changed one thing. That looks bad on you. It kind of delays everybody. So it's it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a faux pas. So try to just you know quickly run your code, even if you did a really small change. It's just one of those things. And a lot of places will have actual checklists that you have to do for each pull request. And part of your checklist is you know run your code. Also, one of those things too. To be to be fair, and we we've done this with one of our extensions for Google Chrome was we accidentally made dark or we we intentionally made dark mode, but we didn't change the font size, so we ended up having a black background with the black text, and then we pushed the change because we were just like, oh look, it's working, but we never checked all the menus, and something just as simple as us changing a background color just screwed up a whole. So it's like, oh, I've got to push another change now because like it went to production, you know. Exactly. Exactly. And especially if you're pushing to production. <laughs> I mean, in our case, it was like an yeah. extension. It's a list taking yeah. application. It's like no one's going to no one's going to lose like lose everything. They can just toggle off dark mode. But imagine that being like, oh, by the way, your entire website has unreadable text now. Like, Oh, good. Yep, yep. exactly. Um, and with that, uh, let's move on to segment number two, performing a code review. So this one. It, although like if you're just starting out in the industry and if you're just, you know, getting in to be a junior developer, or maybe you're just learning how to code, this might not apply to you, but it's still important for you to know. And there's a few things that should apply to you because again, um, and we'll get to it soon, everyone in the team should eventually be doing code reviews pretty quickly. So let's get to it right away. Uh, define a good code structure and rules for your team to follow. So as I was saying before, with the linting and formatting, formatting some checkboxes for what they need to do before a code review, stuff like that. So you want to make sure your team has a set format that they need to follow or that you can easily give them uh, so that it's easier for everyone on the team to do code reviews. Because again, if someone is you know declaring stuff with vars and someone is declaring stuff with lets, if someone's using arrow functions instead of the function calls, if someone is using ternary operators for if statements and someone is using the regular if statements, like all of that leads to more complexity. And if you don't have a standard, it's just gonna like code reviews will just be a disaster like it'll be you know no one will know what the heck's going on you're gonna have errors everywhere your code's gonna look really ugly so it's important if you have a team set a standard and this is one of those practice that what you preach moments because that's currently what i'm working on right now is standardizing everything and getting my linting and formatting to be clear i have like my team does have linting and formatting but i haven't required it up until this point but in the next week or so I'll be implementing the requirement for everyone before they submit a pull request to run a linter or a formatter um, to make sure that we're all under on the same kind of level. Now, here's a question for you. This is more of a technical question, but how often, if ever, does a linter ever actually screw up the code? So 
I haven't had it screw up code. Mm-hmm. The things that I've had it ha- I've had happen is if you have like a structural error in your code, sometimes the linting just doesn't pick it up and will won't lint it. So if you've you know declared a function wrong, it could break the linter. In which case, you're still going to have an error because you've declared the function wrong, and your function won't be linted properly anyway. So it's not it's not really a negative. It's just one of those things that like. That's the only negative thing I've seen. The really annoying thing is, is like if you have very strict linting, it could throw an error to you when it's just like a warning. Like for instance, you uh, a, a really common linting thing is like you've declared a variable, but it hasn't been used. And that like the linter will be like, you cannot run this code, even though obviously you still can. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's, that's kind of an annoying part of it. It makes sense because like, why would you declare a variable? But if you're in the middle of testing, and you're saving and you're linting on save, it can be really, really annoying. That's why I don't like linting on save. I like linting on commit because, again, when you're committing, yeah, it doesn't make sense to have a variable that, that's it's not used. It's just sitting there not doing anything. It's just yet. sitting there. But when you're testing, there could be millions of reasons why you have a variable that's not used. You could have de- declared all your – maybe you needed five globals and you're only using one at a time and you want to save. Yeah, and then you're you like, save what the hell? Run like, the code. Yeah. yeah, like that. That's literally been a really big annoyance for me. So linting does have its negatives, hundred percent, but that's why you can control when you want to lint, okay, and when you want to format. So it, I haven't seen it break code because again, what it does is essentially just you know does tabs and spaces, give, gives you those rules that like you know you have to use lets instead of vars. You have to use every uh, yeah, and and you can you can usually set it to actually correct it for you. So instead of just giving you a warning, it'll actually be like, fix it. Like it'll just remove those variables that aren't being used. without, And it'll tell you, obviously, that it's removed them. Again, positives and negatives. But I think it's in a team environment, it's a necessary thing. So the next thing here is do in-person and on-call and on, or on-call code reviews when possible. So this one's a little bit difficult uh, and it's not standard in the industry currently. But I think it's important to sometimes do this. So if you're onboarding a new developer onto your platform, I think for the first few code reviews, you should do a live session with them. Again, whether that be over the shoulder or through uh, Skype or whatever, Zoom, whatever, like just a screen sharing application. It's just that like one-on-one time that you have with them could accelerate their uh, development drastically. Whereas if you just go in and write your typical you know, statements that you have for the entire, for the rest of the team uh, and there, and then have them interpret what you're trying to say that will delay them, delay you in the future and stuff like that. So it's important to get kind of get them on the same page as everyone else before you let go and allow the, you know, pure text-based reviews. But even then, in my opinion, every once in a while, it's cool to just sit down with someone and even if it's just like you were just reviewing their code or they're reviewing your code and having that conversation, that conversation code, I think it's important to kind of touch base and get that on a semi-regular basis. Again, not every piece of code needs to be reviewed like that, but every once in a while, especially if it's a big feature, it's a good thing to do. It it, it does kind of help the, the team to get together and it puts a more human touch on the uh, code review, whereas sometimes you're kind of a little bit harsh in your code reviews, when it's just text, when you're just trying to get done, get it done, be like, this is wrong. You know, this, you know, you know, do A instead of B, whatever. Uh, whereas if you're on a one-on-one session with them, instead of saying this is wrong, you could be using much better language and much more constructive. 
Um, having said that, the next exact point is keep in mind how you critique a person's code. So choose your language wisely because when you're critiquing someone, like I was saying in the first segment, uh, when you know, you're receiving criticism, it's the same thing when you're giving criticism. Make sure that you take away that like harsh element to your critiques. Like don't say this is really bad. You know, don't say this is like, this is terrible code, like, or whatever. Say, you know, this, obviously this is working, but uh, in, as a team, we're, we do it like this uh, and show them and show and tell them the reason why, like, because, you know, your method, you have to iterate over the entire array. And my, our method is, you know, doing it a lot more efficiently where you only have to iterate to the first element that you find, and then you're good to go. So just an example, obviously. And then also don't just point out everything that's wrong with the code. Talk about what was well-structured, like what was actually structured well and to promote good habits. So figure out what they've done well in each piece of code and sometimes comment on that as well. Because usually code reviews are only about the negative, but I think changing it a little bit and giving promoting a good structure will also kind of help solidify your developer's confidence and help... And help uh, Keep your code consistent because if you don't say anything, they're going to keep trying to change things up sometimes. And if, but if you really like something and you want them to continue doing it, it's important to kind of, you know, declare that and tell them that that's what you want them to keep doing. So the last thing here is avoid saying this is easy or this should be easy. This one is a really big pet peeve of ours, I think, Matt and I. I, I um, literally got angry when you said it. Like, yeah. I, even though you weren't even talking to me and this is not a code review, I could feel like my anger spark just a little bit, just a, t- just a touch. Yeah, exactly. Because like, I hate it when, especially a client, like we've had this happen a few times. We're just doing like it, you know, we're, we're making a website for them and then they come up with a feature request and they're like, this should be easy. On a client side, it's almost, it's kind of forgivable because they don't know what's going on. Right. It's still really annoying to us. Like, yeah, it's like we're not going to tell them off. We're going to say like, hey, yeah. F you, bud, you know, but yeah, but we have to explain to them that it's not easy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but regardless, but when you a team member says it, it's a lot worse, in my opinion, because they know better. Like they know that this is going to annoy you. So if you're, you know, if you have a, a code review and the person has done something that just doesn't make any sense or something that you've done a million times but they just couldn't wrap their heads around it and they did it completely differently and inefficiently. And you respond back with, hey, this should have been easy. Uh, you know, this is what you need to do. Know that that's going to be received terribly. <laughs> like They're going to be probably kind of devastated by that a little bit because most likely the, how they got to the point where they got is a lot of trial and error, is a lot of like the, the behind the scenes is something that you never get to see, especially if you're doing a remote work environment and you don't know how much effort someone put, has put into that thing that you're just telling them that it should have been easy and you're, they did it all wrong. Just keep that in mind when you're doing code reviews or when you're just being a person in general. Like you don't know what the background situation is like. Obviously, you have to tell them that it's wrong. If it's wrong, that's fine. Like it's it's going to be a, a little bit of a piss off to them, but you can do it in a proper way. Well, yeah, it's one of those things where you need to gauge like clearly, clearly they submitted it either by accident or they misinterpreted the problem and they put something in there that's redundant or something along those lines. Short of this person, short of this being the person's very first code review you know because they're a part of your team what their competence level is and so saying something is easy to them 
is like really it's really demeaning like it's extra demeaning if that makes sense it's something where it's just sort of like well this should be easy like what like like what the hell is wrong with you and it's like well i don't know i guess i'll just i'll just pack up shop then go 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 like call somebody else you know i'll pack up shop go like run some interviews and find me find me a replacement like it's it's to that degree it's to that degree of how insulting it is at least to me it's sort of like I didn't intentionally do this. People make mistakes. I make mistakes too. Or maybe I had a logical region, reason for it. And you just sort of found out why it was illogical. And my logic didn't end up being logical. You know, I made a rational decision to do this because I thought it was logical. It's not like I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. Let's add a light box here. <laughs> in in, yeah. in a calculator application or something, right? And so... Oh... Like- I'll, I'll I'll say another point too is that in terms of in terms of like the last two points you just covered so you know do in person calls and that type of thing I think that and choose your and like mind your how you do your language I think that the, those two points are really critical um when you or what you a critical point in deciding what type of language you use to talk to a person and whether or not you're doing sort of an over email code review or an in person or an in, or an on call one is that is the stress level in which that person is under or is assumed under. So uh, uh, an example would be if you have a brand new guy on the team and he's all he's doing is coloring a button, maybe you want to actually bring him into a call because that's his first code review, for example. Now, if he's just coloring buttons for weeks, you don't need to have an in-call one. But if you're upgrading him from the person that colors the buttons, obviously that's really rudimentary, but see, there's bad language. Technically you'd be like, dude, this is supposed to be purple. You've made it Brown. What the hell's wrong with you? See, yeah. Like it's demeaning. And like, yeah, I, but it, and you, it, it's you can so, you can so easily do it. Yeah. Like I just did it right there, you know? Yeah. But, but in, in actuality, you know, people aren't going to be submitting code reviews probably for buttons is the, is my point. But in this example, if someone is doing the is someone is the button colorer, <laughs> that's a position, and then he gets upgraded to the guy who opens and configures and shows the light box as well as the light box slideshow. You know, you can go through the collection to the gallery. That is like a higher stress point, and so that is when you should have another co- t- like conversation with them because that is like another st- another high stress point. And then if the if that goes well and you know everything goes long blah 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 now he's ahead of galleries and you don't need to have a sit down with him then all of a sudden if he's ahead of the database in which the the photos are taken as well that's another big stress point they're probably stressed out about it they don't know what they're doing necessarily right at the beginning and all that type of thing so then you should have maybe another sit down with them and that's sort of when you should do that and in those particular cases if it if you're having an in like sometimes sometimes it's just a lot of even basic code and so you want to have a sit down with them right it's up to you and your management style and how you want to gauge it but if you're sort of meeting with them at those critical points at those kind of stress points at those big points and in their sort of uh, responsibility jump i guess you could call it if you're kind of interviewing them in those at those particular points in their career and in their like tenure at your place what you should be doing is trying to like word this what you should be doing is being extra constructive almost being like as if you are giving them overbearing comments if that makes sense so 
what I mean by that is like an actual code comment. Some people will give overbearing comments in their own code. Like they'll literally leave too many comments, leave a comment per line. When you're doing, when you're sort of code reviewing or having that conversation with somebody, sort of, that's how I would approach it is I would approach it where I would talk to the person. I would talk through almost, almost each line, depending on their experience and stuff. Of course, again, your team, you gauge it, but like be like an overbearing commenter, even if there aren't actually overbearing comments. And then, you know, kind of lax off. Like if they're clearly being like, hey, like why are we looking at this var or this like let or like whatever, then it's like, okay, you know, we'll just like skip past these four lines. But I think that you need to be extra constructive because if they're brand new to doing that database thing, if they're brand new to doing that light box thing, if they're brand new to doing a slideshow, like Mike said, by going through each line, you're going to, you're going to find like, you know, maybe like, Hey, this transition's fine. We'll use it today. But it, you know, like maybe we should maybe not do 60% opacity. Let's do 70 in the future just so that it's easier to read, but there's nothing to read in this particular case. So we'll, you know, it's fine for today. So that's like an overbearing comment, right? Where like a comment in your code might be like, I left it at 60% because I didn't want it because there wasn't anything readable. And like that, that, that's what I'm trying to get at. Yep, exactly. I mean, giving, giving them that line by line overview, especially when they're first starting out, will, uh, will give you a lot of opportunity to praise them. I think, I think that's the, that's the key, like give them positive criticism. Um, and then or not positive criticism, just po- just positive uh, comments, and then and then obviously sprinkle in the the criticism that you have throughout because you're going line by line. You're obviously going to find something that doesn't conform to your company's policy or doesn't make sense in that code structure or something like that. So it's important to give both, and it's important to know when to let off as well. It's like you don't want to be doing that on every single code review because you're going to go crazy. The person's going to go crazy. It's going to be extremely stressful for everyone. But every once in a while, especially when they're starting out on something new, totally agree with that. Um, With that, uh, let's move on to the next thing here, which is something that I mentioned a few times. Uh, Make everyone on your team perform reviews of each other. So this kind of gives everyone an equal playing field and it promotes a better and more balanced relationship with your team. So not one person is just overseeing and making sure that everyone is doing the right thing. Everyone is kind of seeing it and it will allow you to have a more diverse look on your code and get get a better idea of how... Um, how skilled your your team is and maybe you know they can tweak your code to be better as well and you move you in the right direction because sometimes you get into this groove of uh like if you're the one that's overseeing everything you can get into this groove of thinking that you're always right and just writing code all the time and without an oversight you'll you'll miss something like you not, not no one is perfect especially when they're writing code uh, everyone makes mistakes, so it's important to get some feedback on your code. So this is, again, a practice what you preach moment. This is something that I am implementing over the next couple of weeks. People reviewing the code that I submit in the pull requests, uh, I need that. The team needs that. It's just one of those things that it's it's a good cycle to have. Uh, next thing here is make sure the review process doesn't take up a large portion of yours or the reviewee's day. So you don't want to schedule half a day to do a review. That's not conducive of a good working environment. That's not good for the reviewee. That's not good for you. You want to make sure that the reviews happen as quickly and as efficiently as possible. Um, and they don't take up your peak working hours during the day. Because like I was saying in the previous episodes, uh, you have those, those hours that 
you do your best work in. And it's tough to find the hours. And when you do, you want to make sure that those hours are clear of anything like this. This is administrative, in my opinion. Um, so to do that, again, it, you kind of have to apply all these rules to it uh, that I was saying. Make sure that there's linting. Make sure that there's formatting. Uh, make sure that, again, your code, the code that people are submitting is as short as possible. Again, you don't want to review an entire uh code like an entire code base every time someone reviews a code you want to review the feature that they've actually submitted for review and as long as that feature is in within like 50 lines 100 lines it's going to make your life a lot easier i mean 100 lines is a lot more than 50 but regardless like it's got to be contained you can't have someone submit seven files because they forgot to commit three years ago and now you're you're sitting there looking through 17 17,000 lines of code on a like you know on a monday or a tuesday and that's your entire day so you you got to avoid those kinds of situations uh and here another thing just because you'd write something different doesn't mean it's wrong so when you're keeping in mind while approving code just because you were to you know you write your for loops a certain way or you structure your code a certain way uh, doesn't mean that the person that's submitting it, that's structuring it slightly differently, is wrong. In fact, they could be better. It could be a better solution. So don't automatically reject something because they didn't write it the right way. Uh, look at why they wrote it that way. Sometimes, like Matt was saying before, uh, that code by code line review will tell you why they like. They'll tell you why they wrote it that way, and you can be like, "Oh yeah, you know what? That's a great idea." And then you can start using that method. Um, obviously, this can be a slippery slope. And to, to especially like if you just, you know, keep approving everyone just because they didn't write it the right way or whatever, like you don't, you want to be the good guy. Um, but sometimes it is important to have that objective view that a person can have a better idea than you, a person, like a code can be written differently, even though you've been writing like a for loop one certain way for like eight years, if you're a senior developer or 10 years, if you're a senior developer, uh, someone can come in and he's a junior developer and write a for loop more efficiently than you. And you can use that for your future purposes. So just keep that balance though, because again, you don't want to have it so that you're the good guy and you're always approving everything. It could kind of muddy the waters with your code. If you have a solution to an issue with the code. So when someone submits something and it's wrong, like it's legitimately wrong, like they've not, they haven't completed the task at hand at all. And you have a better solution for them just because you've done it a million times. It's just not something like you weren't the, you weren't focused on that project, but you've done it a million times. There's nothing wrong with giving them some code snippets or some direction where there's patterns in your code to follow. Um, I know some people can be like a little bit hands-offish and want them to figure it out themselves and think that that's the important part. And sometimes it is, again, if it's something that will take you a long time to figure out and stuff like that. But if you already have that snippet and if it's something that you have solved many, many times, coders and developers can learn from code snippets just as well as they can learn from, you know, writing it themselves from scratch. In my opinion, it's more important to understand how to implement snippets than it is to write that code from scratch and, you know, take up 18 times more, more of the company's time. If you can give them that code make sure that they understand it, then it, it's kind of a win-win for you, the company, and the person. And the person, as a developer, shouldn't take it as anything bad on them, and you shouldn't be feel bad for giving them code that works already, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does, because, I mean, I do it all the time right now. Every single time I bring up a point almost, 
I bring up an example almost always. I always try to make some sort of scenario. It's usually an extreme scenario where something's way too easy or way too hard or whatever the situation brings. But there's some people out there, and clearly I'm one of them, that learns better from example. And so I would learn a lot better from seeing that, seeing the code. I would learn a lot better. I mean, just we're starting the uh, the Webflow live streams. I've never built anything from scratch in in Webflow, but yet I have a great base because I've seen not necessarily the other people's codes, but the other people's templates, and I've changed and manipulated things uh, in templates. I've built my own sections of templates, of course, like I've built pieces of templates myself from scratch, but building it all at once, I haven't done, but those templates are effectively my example that I've worked from. And I oftentimes will hate when I go and do research, let's say, and just find a whole bunch of people writing stuff about like, this is how data's moved and like blah, blah, blah. And then I just don't, because in your own head, or at least I do this, is you almost define your own terms in your own head. Like I I say, oh, this thing talks to this communicative thing. And that like, literally like that. This thing talks to this communicative thing. And that's why that variable is like that. And obviously that's not professional speech and I can't write that in an email, but when you're figuring out your own things, that's how my head figures it out. And sometimes when you ask somebody something on the spot, that type of their own internal monologue, if you will, comes out. And that's why you're like, what are you talking about? Communication thing. And we're not calling any like communication protocol. We're not using that. But in reality, it's just like one variable talking to another. And just in your own head, you figured it out that way. And so... Sometimes people learn better from just doing it. Some people learn better if they are sink or swim. Some people are like placed in that situation of sink or swim. And some people, myself, learn better from examples where I can take the pieces and oftentimes I take examples and intentionally break them to see wh- how to do it. And so that 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 is really critical, especially if you look at a code review as a learning experience and you really should, honestly. And as Mike said, it could go the other way as well. Someone sends me a code review. They're probably doing it better than me straight up, you know, uh, because I just don't do it all that often. So if somebody sends me a code review, I'm probably going to learn a bunch. I'm probably going to take their code, run it myself and like break it like intentionally. I'd be like, oh, what's this thing do? And like, oh, that breaks the zoom or whatever the case may be. But that's probably how I'm going to learn from a code review. And, and approve it. Like, I'd be like, oh, this breaks this, this breaks this. Oh, look, all this stuff is, like, insulated, so it won't break because they have all these lines around it. Sounds good to me. Approved, or however the process is in your company. Yep, exactly. So it's kind of one of those things. It's a give-and-take relationship with code reviews. They're important. They take up time, but you need to kind of have that balance of making sure you can get them done, uh, making sure that the person learns, the, the reviewee learns, and the reviewer has the time to kind of teach them. And and just build the trust in your team, too. Like, that's the really tough part, I think. Um, if you have one person doing code reviews and they're kind of like a, you know, it's very strict on them, it can really ruin the trust within your team members. Like, everyone's going to kind of team up against this person that does all the code reviews. So make sure that there's that is worked out as well. Uh, and again, having live code reviews can help that because when they comment live to you, you can see their reasoning and you can either counter their reasoning or you can understand it better. So approaching it from many different angles is something that you're going to have to kind of get used to. 
if you're if you're in this position and uh, if you're just getting started and you're just getting into code reviews and you just you know don't don't be scared to put your code out there. It's a really important step in the developer's process and it'll teach you and accelerate your education really quickly if your uh, reviewer is good at them. So that's about it for me on the code review side. Again, a lot of this is a practice what you preach kind of thing. I need to get into it a little bit more. I, I like I said, I will be implementing some of these things and maybe in a future episode, we'll talk about uh, some, some of the issues that I ran into um, the follow-up to code reviews. So Matt, what are we doing for web news today? So web news, we're just going to have, a, like I said, an honest to goodness conversation about just overload of everything. So, you know, hat is a big piece of our lives now. I'm doing a bit of like a a day-to-day task sort of pivot where, I don't know, I, I don't, can't remember whether I mentioned this on the show, but just as a brief synopsis, I'm basically going to be switching some of my time dedicated toward client work over to hat stuff so we can have sort of content generation consistently and Twitch streams and all the rest of it. But that's exactly the problem is that I wake up, it's like, oh, this is going to be a hat day or something. And I check my email and then there's a bunch of client stuff. So there's issues, you know, sort of disconnecting. There's also issues there where, you know, some clients are on our old infrastructure, some are on our new infrastructure, some are on like really new infrastructure that we just actually spun up, that type of thing. And so it's like, there's a lot of task switching there, lots of different texts. Like yesterday I was in, like, I haven't used Plesk in years. And like all of a sudden I was just in Plesk. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, I haven't used this damn thing since college. Like, what am I doing in here? And I was like fixing something for a client. So it's just a lot of jumping around and it's a lot of, it's a lot of jumping around and it's a lot of craziness. And so that's kind of what I want to discuss is that when it comes to just straight up being a, I hesitate to use the word influencer, but like that's effectively what it is. Or maybe just working on a project is probably more, more appropriate. But when it comes to working on a project, you know, you need to get, there's a whole bunch of components. The component, the project itself needs to get built in some way, however that is. And in our case, we are more or less creators, like we're programming things and building websites. So we'll be the person building it, but any project needs to be built. And if it needs an audience, then it needs an audience. So it like quite literally just needs, needs to have marketing or a way for people to discover it and then that breaks down to a million things you know do you go heavy on instagram twitter facebook tiktok do you go to all of them do you do none of them do you do email marketing do you use a website do you just use seo there's all kinds of stuff there and what mike and i find ourselves doing is like i'll hit twitter hard and i'll be like hitting the twitter hard and whatever for like 10 minutes and all of a sudden it's, you know, an email comes in and I run out to do something for a client or which I'm not complaining about, but it's a matter of me like trying to change or morph my role to an extent. Or, you know, I'm on Twitter for a while and then all of a sudden I see something cool on Instagram and I'm distracted by Instagram and then I'm hitting the Instagram hard. But we don't know what we're supposed to be hitting. You know, should, should I be hitting the Twitter hard? Should I be hitting Instagram hard? We hit it. We hit Instagram hard in the beginning and then it kind of fell off because we effectively got shadow banned for some reason. And we were like, we were hitting I don't know what our numbers were. I can't remember now, but in, we were we were something along the lines of like getting, let's say, 200 reach each each post, totally made up number, 200 reach each post down to like 10. And it was like 10, 10, 10, 10 for each post. And it got to the point where it was 
it was effectively what's the what's the point and then we had this weird period where we would only gain a bunch of followers if we posted waited two weeks we'd get a bunch of followers and then we would post again and we would lose like 10 followers and then wait two weeks and gain 30 and so we were only posting every couple of weeks and now it's just it it's just it's just it's just crazy and i know that the like the typical sort of online entrepreneur thing is just be everywhere in this type of thing but since we're sort of technical staff if you will we also have the problem of learning what we're doing so it's like i have to learn what i have to learn all the webflow stuff and i have to prepare stuff for webflow but then there's also a million and a half other things like do i if i want to do a stream on statamic uh then uh hopefully i'm saying that right then i have to learn all that stuff if i have to and i have to prepare the environment for it mike had to prepare the environment just for the dnd app and he had some troubles and he was already like a, a Vue.js aficionado and he already had problems. So for someone like me who hasn't done that, I'm going to be really in, in, in the crap there. And every single time I go to learn, am I going to get, you know, a phone call? Am I going to get a, a, an interesting tweet? And then it's like, do I just ignore that stuff? You know, obviously I can defer customer calls to an extent and that type of thing. Obviously that's totally acceptable within professional guidelines, if you will. But it's a matter of being like, for example, on the Twitter thing, if I leave that interesting tweet, am I missing an opportunity? And so I'm effectively waking up and deciding, oh, this is going to be like a hat day. Like I'm going to do stuff, but I'm jumping around like a crazy person. And each of our individual areas are equally as crazy. You can really deep dive into, into web development and become just a back end guy, a full stack guy, a front end guy. You can be a full stack guy with a certain very particular stack. You can go ham into other things. You can go ham into the vanilla stuff. You can become like a vanilla aficionado. You can be a design person. You can be, you can be a UX person. You can be a UI UX person. You can be a design person. You can be a gra or a, a graphic design person is what I meant to say. You can be all these things and it's almost like, being like pulled here pulled here pulled here pulled here and so it's almost like i guess it's the, like the newbie curse if you will where i'm new to sort of trying to dedicate a few days specifically to this thing to this project and how do we handle it and i know that mike and i have talked about sustainable content creation where our website we're going to be sharing some articles and that type of thing and our website's being redone on the on our twitch right now uh, so it's like, it's like, we are very aware of our limitations, which I think is a healthy first step. And I think that's why we're kind of having this discussion, but I can only imagine what it feels like for somebody who is trying to work full time and then transition into this industry. Obviously they might not be trying to go the influencer route. And so they don't really need to worry about the Twitter and the Facebook and all the rest of it, unless they're trying to get a job or have a cool blog to get noticed by recruiters or whatever. So there's like, there's all this consideration in this industry. And it's just a matter of being like, what do we do? Do we, do we, do we learn SEO like crazy? You know, that's a whole thing. You know, I'm not going to be able to learn SEO tomorrow night. And we know a bunch of SEO. Mike and I know a bunch of it. We know generally how it works and this, that, and the other thing. But there's people out there that just do marketing. And they do more than just SEO, but because their their ear is to the ground of the the, the marketing world, they know a significant portion more about SEO than we do by association. But with in, in Mike and my case, we know server configurations much more than the marketing guy does, and he's using the server to market. So when we when we 
take a step back and we think, let's do this hat thing. It's like, we're the guy that's managing the server, managing the SEO, doing the doing the design. And then we're outsourcing some stuff. You know, of course, we outsourced our intro for the show and outsourced some art stuff. But it's a matter of being being in a, in a situation where we don't want to overstep our budget by outsourcing everything. But at the same time, we don't want to miss opportunities. But at the same time, things are evolving, evolving rapidly. Like there's a whole there's a whole movement out there that just thinks JavaScript is garbage and you shouldn't be using JavaScript. And to me, it's like, oh, okay, so JS might be bad. Maybe this is something I need to pay attention to, let's say, on social media. Like, pay attention to it so I can make a comment on it, right? Because that's what you do on social media. You comment on stuff. And it's like, oh, we don't want people running scripts on our computers. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I mean, that's like, uh, like maybe that's valid. Like, I don't know. Like, like I just don't have the time even to read into that. And so there's this whole movement out there about this whole, I mean, like, I don't know how big it is. Like I said, I know very little, but it's like people saying JS is bad. So it's like, oh, okay. So I'm limited to HTML and CSS. So that could, if that was the case, if let's say I'm, I'm, I learned that there's a big movement of people doing that. An interesting piece of content for hat could come out of that. It could be something where I, I take several things that people do in JS typically, and I mimic, mimic that mimic or do an alternative action in CSS and HTML only. That could be an interesting piece of content, but I would never know that. And I don't even know if that's valid. Like, I could do that right now. And there could be like 10 people that are like, yay. But I just don't have time to dive into that because somebody else, like we're all over, we're all over the place, all over the place. And, and, and so hence the rant, but also this is, this is the reality where like, look at this. And the thing is too, if one of our computers go down, let's say, Mike and I fix our own computers. So we have all this other technical knowledge in our head. Like, we're running around like crazy. You know, this is... This is crazy. Yep. Yeah, I mean... I, I like late, Lately, it's been worse because we've been questioning what we need to be doing and stuff like that and trying to find direction. So now, with that search for direction, it's become more crazy because now we're trying to you know also on top of everything else we're trying to figure out what's the best strategy for this and that's another whole thing like that's another whole you know marketing thing seo thing development thing like that's a, an entire project in itself is to find the best strategy for a, a project like we have like html things like what what is the value product that we have yeah like the podcast is one of them for sure yeah we know like there's some things we know for sure we know that we we know that being consistent with the podcast is good we like doing the podcast the podcast is healthy for us and all the rest of it it's healthy for our sort of influencer angle if you will and 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 all the rest of it but yet it, it yet there there's a there's a serious question of like you know should we be just focusing on twitter like there, there's a movement out there and not necessarily a movement but there is some conversation out there saying that you shouldn't be learning everything you should be learning one thing in terms of social media. So maybe you need to just hit Twitter hard and just ignore all the rest of it. But then, then there's always that thing at the back of your mind where you're saying, well, I'm actually you know, missing out on X, X, like X thing here, you know, B thing here, Y here, like all these missing variables. I'm, I'm all, I'm all over the place because we're just sort of present on Facebook. Let's be serious. You know, we don't hit the Facebook hard. We boost some posts on there certainly, but we don't hit the Facebook hard. We don't learn all the algorithms and all the rest of it. We hit the Instagram one hard for sure. When the beginning we hit it, we were trying to learn the hashtags and all the rest of the crap. 
and trying to learn like what to repost and how that works and like what the etiquette is and all the rest of it and how to give like proper thing and you know oh we need to do stories oh okay we need to do a story per post because stories are bigger than or like they hit a certain thing we need to get in the discovery feed but like look how much you can learn just about instagram and there's people out there i'm sure that only do instagram management for people they only do the instagram management and then there's people out there that have bigger jobs where they do the content funnels then there's might be people overseeing the individuals so there might be a person overseeing a team and the team in, in includes an instagram person a facebook person a twitter person and maybe a TikTok person if they're if the company's into that. And then this over this like this like boss of all these people is the person that's choosing a strategy for the content funnel. And if you haven't ever even heard of a content funnel, that's on the rage in some communities. That's going crazy. And it, and then Mike and I are questioning like, do we need a content? <laughs> it's literally like, do we need a content funnel? Because the number one the number one problem we have right not not to not to like bring all this down to money, but is, are Mike and I really going to spend, let's say, 100 hours effectively every two weeks? Let's say it's a 50-hour week. Are we going to really spend 100 hours every two weeks on something that brings us $10 a, a day? Mm, like, you know, the reality there is no. And, it, you know, it's impractical. It's impractical unless we were previously rich for some reason. And we're doing this just solely for passion, right? And so we need th- that audience we need the the monetization and i'm sure there's a bunch of people out there that are thinking the exact same thing where they're seeing side hustles of people that let's say they're a blogger and they're seeing it as like let's say they're seeing the side hustle of a very successful blogger in in, whether it's in their life or in their community and they and they see on the surface oh they write articles and then they tweet about it and they get money yeah, but that person is probably tweeting at a strategic time. That person has put a lot of thought into the wording of that tweet. What hashtags? What media gets included with that thing? When do they post? Are they boosting some of those posts? Are they tweeting in? A, are they tweeting in a certain thing? Do they have, uh, you know, a community that an audience that that like they're super active and they always reply, they always like, and they always retweet. Uh, do we? Ha- do they have a Facebook community that's constantly like sharing out? Do they have uh? uh because that's how you get big in Facebook, right? Or one of the big ways is to get shared on Facebook. Do they have, you know, a, a Facebook private group and and that's sort of an exclusive club? And so, like, the you know, the number one pieces of their audience go in there. And because those people feel appreciated as audience members in this sort of VIP, you know, Facebook group and this private Facebook group, maybe they go to the public Facebook page and they they share it. Like, this is, like, serious. This is, like serious considerations that you need to have as a person that's trying to sort of grow a project and imagine being a person that works full-time whatever and then they just think oh i'll just do a side hustle like that blogger example there's a lot more to it than you see on the surface you know mike and i tweet and stuff like that but like those tweets are very much like sometimes they're done hastily like sometimes i'll go into twitter really quick and be like damn i haven't tweeted in a while i literally forget we have a discord sometimes It'll be, the whole weekend goes by and I'm like, oh damn, we have a Discord. Like we have a big Discord. Like there's a lot of people in that Discord, and it's and I'm not inactive because I'm like don't appreciate the Discord. It's the fact that like I have actually and like I'm not a doctor, but I have reached seriously critical mass. I am incapable of pulling in the amount of information that's coming through. I forget everything. I forget everything. I forget. All kinds of stuff. Like, I have a pretty good memory on, like, very specific things. Like, I'm not, like, 
having an actual medical problem. But there is so much flying at me in a day that, like, I don't remember that tweet. I don't remember that that thing. I don't remember this 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 uh, movement that's going on. And this is not to mention that there's personal stuff going on. You know, people are you know, messaging you about stuff like that. They're trying to make plans and stuff like that. Like, like everyone experiences this, right? But, like, me personally, like, I have... I can't say this more clear. There's, like, a delay sometimes when I respond to somebody in person. Because they say something and I'm like, um, wait. And I have to, like, transfer my... Literally transfer my, my thought from, should I use this hashtag, to... Wait a sec, let me think, let me think, let me think, let me think. Plesk. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's literally like I'm loading. Because there's so much information. Yep. Like, I I don't even read the news. I can't can't read the news. I can't read the news, and I don't read the news. And I can only imagine what people do that read the damn news and do this stuff that we're doing. Like, it's out of control. It's out of control. Yeah. Uh, The... Yeah, it's really tough to concretely say like what we want. That's I think we really need to get like a mission statement for everything. Digital dynasty design, you and I incorporate like whatever. Like we need to get you and I, you and I incorporated. That's for you and I incorporated. Yes. <laughs> like what do we want? Because right now, break breaking it down, uh, we have digital dynasty design, which is our service side. That generates a certain amount of income. Matt's mostly in charge of that. Like 95% is all on Matt to have to deal with like a plethora of customers. And they come kind of come randomly. That's not very consistent, but it's like, you know, derailing, very derailing. Like the Plesk thing is a, is a prime example. Like I was just like, Plesk user groups haven't used yeah. this since college. Guess I have to learn this in production now. And I did. Yeah. I fixed the problem. But like, that's mm-hmm. a huge derailment. It's a huge derailment and it's a derailment that actually we didn't actually get paid for. So we've, it was a, for a project that we've, we've did it like years ago now. And it was just kind of a support request. Something wasn't working because of an update, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. It wasn't even our servers. So theoretically in that kind of situation, the fix would be to charge for that. Right. Right. Yep. Like that should have been, that should have been like, a, okay, this isn't as simple as turning on a, like a, a tag. Let's reach out, get an arrangement going. Like, I'll need to look into this. I won't look into it until we have an agreement. Done. Agreed. No, I agree. It. Yeah. Yeah. So, so stuff like that. Like that. that is a possibility to... But again, that's still a derailment because most likely what's going to come back is, yes, I want to look at it. Let's get an agreement. That whole conversation is a derailment. Everything is a derailment. So Digital Dynasty Design is a one part of our business that brings in a certain amount of income. HTML of things... If you can call it part of our business, I don't know, but it's a big project that we're working it's on together. It's owned and operated by by Digital Dynasty Design. Absolutely, yeah. So it's something that we're both working on at all, like at all times. We have a contractor that helps us out with it sometimes uh, on the back end side of things. Like we have money invested into it, we have time invested to it, like a lot. Uh, so that's another part of the business that's actually not bringing in any profit. Let's say it is bringing in a tiny little bit of money through our Patreon, but that's it. Um. Which we appreciate. Like, which we, we have- appreciate. Like it, 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 it makes it so yeah. that hat is not, um, is not in the red. Like it, you know, of like we're effectively doing this, short of paying ourselves an hourly wage for being here right now. We're effectively yeah. in the like. We're just like at zero. We're not in the red. Yeah, at zero. Yeah, other than the time. But yeah, at zero because like obviously the hosting costs and stuff aren't very high. Um, so hat, yeah, hat doesn't bring anything in. 
Uh, but it's growing and it's really fun and it's definitely a passion of ours. It's, it's exciting. That's it's exciting thing. when, yeah, when it's it exciting. grows. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, we always get excited. We love hearing comments like on Twitter when we're added and stuff like that. Like all that stuff kind of, you know, motivates us to do more of it because it's awesome. Like, you know, getting recently we got tagged in uh, people that uh, help us code or something like that. I can't remember. Oh, like what, are their, what are your favorite people that you like to learn from in tech? Yeah. I think it was. Yeah, exactly. And we got tagged in that. And that was cool. Like, uh, you know, those are those are some of the little things that I kind of just really hold on to and appreciate about this project. And I love it. Um, and then the third part of our business is I have I'm currently the lead developer of a company called Content Link. Uh, we've had the host that we had the owner on or the CTO on our podcast, actually. And that's kind of that's our big portion of our income right now. And that's part of again, it's part of Digital Dynasty Design technically um so that's a big portion of our stable income that allows us to kind of be in the situation that we're in right now where we can be like okay we have a stable income for right now like i don't know like we don't know how long it's going to last because everything is you know everything everything, is really everything in life is variable like exactly this, this everything is really stable right, right now, now but tomorrow tomorrow something could be like a disastrous could happen and we can lose it so who knows but for now we are stable um, how do we make it so that we become more stable in the future uh, and, you know, provide more income for us? Because we like it, it, we need more income to survive, like, you know, to, to be able to afford a house, family, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, we just need more income. Uh, so that's where this conversation kind of comes in. What do we do? And we've kind of narrowed it down to, like, we don't – we could go into the service side more for sure. Like, we could market ourselves more. We could get more clients and stuff like that. And we've talked about this many times. It's not something that we – ideally, we wouldn't want to do that. What we'd like to do is HTML of things. Like, both Matt and I, we both like HTML of things. Um, and the ideal thing would be to get Matt, instead of working and getting derailed on the server, service side of things, to focus solely on HTML of things and try to get that off the ground. Now, there's a lot of issues with this. And this is where, like, my head always kind of circles around. I don't have a lot of time to support Matt. So we, I, we do this podcast. That's part of my support for Matt, really. Like sometimes I write the show notes, sometimes I don't. But I am always here on the podcast and doing comments. Um, then I do this one stream a week on Thursdays for Twitch right now. So that's the additional content that we're doing that I've decided that I've decided to de- dedicate some time to. But beyond that, there's not much I can do. And I always get around, I always, like, my head always cycles around. It's like, I always want to do way more. Like, I want to do all these projects. Like, I want to, you know, go full on into a full stack project, create a project from the ground up, whatever. But I just, like, realistically, with the amount of work that I have on the content link side, on the contract side, I just can't because there's a lot of work there. It's, it's also a really exciting project. And it also has a lot of, like, development work and team building work and stuff like that. Most of my experience that I talk about on HTML things comes from that side comes from the content link side so the issue is like it would all be on matt which is which is fine which 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 is is fine fine. but the the issue comes into the laser focused part of it it's because the content that we generate itself is is complex and technical that i can't just be on the social if i was just a blog writer talking about life i could just literally live life and just hit the Twitter hard, the Instagram hard. And I'm not saying it's easy for people that do do that. 
they need to keep in mind the time they tweet and all the rest of it as well. But the big derailment comes, like talking about within Hat now, the big derailment comes from, I'm going to go on Webflow. Oh, I need to learn this now. Now I need to learn this now. I need to learn this now. And I need to learn this now. And this now. And this is just in the technical piece to generate that piece of content. So then to like yep. put all that together and then put out one website, which is what? One video? Effectively, if we're measuring it in videos, <laughs> if that's a, a unit of measure. So it's like where... Like there's a lot yep. of investment in the one piece of content. And that's the that's the big problem. And so we need so we gotta to find we need to find that direction. We need to find where we need to capitalize on your strengths and find the direction that brings your strengths in to, you know, again, increase our audience, just being fully transparent. Like we need to increase our audience. Uh, we have a decent audience on the podcast right now. We have anywhere between 500 to 1,000 downloads and episodes, stuff like that. Went down a little bit because of the COVID situation, but it, regardless, it's still staying in there, in that range. Um, Followers are going but, up. Like, things are increasing, but it's yeah, a matter of, like, it needs to more. increase, like, by twofold yeah. at least or more yeah. effectively. Yeah, because at some point, we need to be starting to generate an income from this. That's the whole point of this conversation, like... We, and we don't – my my head – in my head, I'm like, should we – like, we should be generating income right now or should we should be generating income in a year or two years? Or is like, is it okay for us to, you know, just go on one income for two years and then start generating income after that? Like, maybe yeah, that's the way that to go. There's that risk factor too, right? Like, you're scared. Like, there's a reason why – on me from the service side, there's a reason why I work for like five, six clients. It's because, you know, it's, it's effectively diversification within the same thing. So I'm effectively doing the same thing every day. Obviously, there's some different stacks and stuff like that involved, but I'm effectively doing the same thing professionally every single day. It's just a matter of like, you know, this client might go like we've had we've had clients go out of business, you know, straight up. And so it's like, well, they're OK, they're done. So like they're no longer a client. That entity, that business no longer exists. But I didn't just rely on X entity, you know, and so there's like that diversification part. And then this this would be like making a leap. <laughs> and and the thing is, to be clear, is like there's some things that like for sure are not going to go away. I, I for sure I'm going to be doing some client work. We have some really good clients that we're, that are constantly like, you know, calling us and stuff like that. And we're constantly working with it. I'm not going to change that. It's more so a, it's more so a thing of like if a bunch of other people call us, are we just going to refuse the calls? Right. You know, I'm not going to step away 100 percent from client work anytime soon. And I'm not going to step into hat 100% of the time, you know, anytime soon. There are going to be some things. You know, obviously, there's income there. People rely on us. Our infrastructures aren't going to go down. We're not going to stop hosting people and whatever else we do, right? We're not going to stop all that. That's ridiculous. It's just a matter of it being we need to have like sort of a uh, a section of our day uh, or like just have full days dedicated. Like, like, for example, there's some things that are set in stone, you know, effectively for, uh, from our perspective already. The hat site, we're absolutely going to be doing that. I'm going to be doing more Twitch streams. That's absolutely going to be happening. Those plans that we mentioned, I think it was last week, are absolutely still going to be happening. It's just a matter of it being like, do we need to make clips? Do we need to get an editor involved? Do we need to make more YouTube videos from those? Because if I say stream all day or even the last stream was a couple of hours, I, I think it was a couple hours, but is is that you know, that's great. We had a really good, we had some people chatting and people asking questions and we showed off a bunch of stuff and we had some great feedback, but it's like, do we 
do we need to generate more from that? Do I need to go in and clip things and highlight things and, you know, like literally with Twitch highlights and that type of thing? Do I need to make clips and highlights and post those on YouTube? Or do I, do we clip the podcast? Do we create a second YouTube channel? See, this is a whole freaking thing. Do we create a second YouTube channel? Cause you don't want to spam people, but do we take clips out like this? Like Joe Rogan and, and how H3 does it and everything else. Like, do we do that? See the, the, that, that I think is our number one problem, I would say. And I personally don't know any other developers in this space. There might be them out there, but like I said, I'm hitting critical mass, but I don't know any developers in this space that's necessarily doing this particular, uh, sort of project strategy where they're, where they're building a website and they already have the podcast and they have the service site and then they're like transitioning. But then it's like, you know, what are we doing? Or I go, are we then selling a product? Are we then selling a course? Like, what do we do? And like, I just don't, I don't know. Yep. So I think with that, just to kind of put a bow on it, um, what we've decided, and this was kind of pre-podcast, is to bring potentially a consultant on. Because right now, like Matt's saying, like there's just so many things that we could be doing and they all seem very reasonable because a lot of people have had success with them, but we have no direction. Like we we're just essentially sitting there and like, cycling through all the different ways that we could be generating an audience that we could be potentially making an income that we could be doing all that but we're not capitalizing on any of those ways because we're worried that if we do this way then that way is not going to work and then stuff like that so the solution right now like the short-term solution i think is to find someone that can help us with this so we need a is it a marketing consultant? Is this a business advisor? I don't know. Maybe it's a business advisor. Need, I'm not need sure. Like, what... a, like an influencer consultant, if that's a thing. And I and Maybe. I and I really hesitate to open the floodgates like this. Like obviously we need to do this, but I really hesitate because mm-hmm. there's there's like tons of these people, right? Where it's like I'm a marketing expert. I'm this. I'm that. But meanwhile, yeah. a lot of these marketing experts have like 20 followers, and not to measure people's value and followers, but you know, we have 200 followers and we're looking at, at them to get us followers. So it just doesn't bode well. Right. It's like, yeah, it's just like, that's almost a part of their resume and it just doesn't bode well. So it's like, there's so many, it, it's, it's, I get the same, I get the same, like, um, and anxiety from like going on LinkedIn and opening myself up to recruiters. It's like, holy crap. Like I'm going to get a lot of messages. Right. And that, that might happen from this and whatever. But if you, the listener know anyone like seriously now, if you know anyone or you yourself are a person that can help in a professional or just in a chat sense, you know, we're down to talk. We just need direction. We just need to be grounded. We we took a while to ground our service side and then we grounded it and like we have larger clients now and like they're happy with our service. So clearly we're grounded enough to work for big companies. So we figured that part out. But this part just has so many pieces to the pie that i just, just need some help i need some help like i need to know yeah. do we drop the instagram and do the just the twitter do i yep. do i do both do i need an editor is it worth bringing an editor on board you know do i need a pro do i need i don't use to do lists and stuff like that i mean i built mike and i a new trello i haven't showed him it yet but i show, i built like a new production trello that i'm sure is going to help but it like is there a better way to do that and and mm-hmm. and we need we need help beyond the like i don't know how to manage my tasks we need help at the level of i don't know what my task should be yeah exactly we need help on like here's the situation that we're in what do you suggest we should do to try to get out of it like do we 
you know, we need we need like the ideas because we're not going to get anyone that's going to be know our situation perfectly. No, but they're going to know how to find out which ideas work because they so they might give us an idea of like, okay, well, seems like you have a lot of ideas here. Here's someone like try this, you know, try this idea. And if that, it doesn't work after X amount of time, try this idea. And if it doesn't work out after, like, we need that kind of direction. Because, I, like, I guarantee you we're not going to get anyone that's going to be like, oh, I know this exact situation. You have to do, you have to hire an editor and make 16 videos a day. And after that, you'll make X amount of money. Like, it's just it's just not going to happen. It's most likely going to be kind of a, a very directed trial and error, but much more directed than we would do ourselves. Yeah, that's a good point is it's like, you know, a lot of the advice you get sort of on the surface level from just Twitter and stuff like that is just make sure you put out content. And we are like, clearly this show comes out every week. You know, we've been good. We've been good for it for like a year or two now, but it's just a matter of, we just clearly we want more growth. And so like, how do you do that? And, and to be clear, like, you know, we might bring in more than one person. Like we could, you know, get this person's opinion, this person's opinion, then this person's opinion. And I don't even know Mm -hmm. how that, what that looks like. Do we literally have to hire you on for a week? A month? Do we have to hire you on for an hour? Do we just talk? Do we just have a meeting? So that's sort of where we're yep. at. Um, yep. But I think that sort of capstones it. I don't want to sound like I'm whining or anything like that at this point. This is just quite honestly the conversations that Mike and I have had in the last couple of weeks where we're like, let's do market research. I go do market research. I come back with like four viable like things. Now it's like, uh, okay. Like, all right, now what do we do with these four viable things? And it's like, let's do all of them. We try to do all of them. It's like, oh, we can't because that's too much. So which one, which one yep. should we do? And then it's like, well, we don't have our ear to the, to the, the social media train. That sort of seems to be where our biggest problems lie, maybe. Right. And so it's like, well, I don't know, you know, so just saying this is sort of where we're at. This is why we're bouncing around like crazy. I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to stream this week. I don't know what Mike's plans are. Like that type of stuff ain't going to change. The show ain't the, this show ain't going to change. I just want to be clear with everybody. We're not self imploding. We're imploding due to trying to grow. We're not imploding on what we have. So don't worry about that uh, in any capacity, but I think it'll be time. I think it is time. I should say to run the old conclusion, Mike, unless you have anything else to add. Uh, no, let's wrap her up. All right, everybody. Well, remember we have a Patreon that's patreon.com slash HTML, the things. So if you want to support the show, come and check that out. And many thanks to our $3 tier patron, Sean from rabbit works, JavaScript, find him at youtube.com slash rabbit works, JavaScript, Garrick from local path computing and web design, find him at localpathcomputing.com. Ryan Gatchel from blue, black digital, find him at blueblackdigital.com. Chris from self-made web designer, find him at selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from the web hacker, find him at thewebhacker.com. And DL4, excuse me, DL Ford, second week in a row I screwed that up. Come on, Mike. Come, I, call, I said come on, Mike, now. All right, hang yeah, on. It's my fault. Got to load. Load. And DL Ford from dlford.io. Feel free to leave a comment or a review in the platform that you're listening to this on. And we will let this outro sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything.
Until next time, this is HTML All The Things, signing off. 